the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. Welcome back. Uh, If you missed my monologue in the first hour, I got a lot of feedback on it from those of you that did hear it. It's always available at YouTube, YouTube youtube.com. Just type in 960 The Patriot in the search window, hit subscribe. It's all free, and you can get it. I uh, was starting with what was hopefully some of us will at least celebrate or commemorate tomorrow, which is the 234th anniversary of uh, the Virginia Statute of Religious Freedom written by Thomas Jefferson. And I take that and run with it to get us to our present times in discontent. Uh, taking place in Washington, D.C., all the way up into the issue and debate and fight over riots. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, one of the most accomplished people uh, of our, of our, of our, in our history, you know, he didn't even put his presidency as what he wanted listed as one of his accomplishments on his gravestone. Did you know that? He wanted to be known for three things. Author of the Declaration of Independence, founder of the University of Virginia, and author of what I was talking about, the statute of Virginia for religious freedom. There's a lot to it, and it's all very important. We can get to all of this and more, and I just wanted to give you that little uh, instruction. If you missed it, you can go back and get it at YouTube.com. But it's Open Line Friday, 602-508-0960. Anything on your mind, we'll start with Jack in Phoenix. Hi, Jack. Oh, hi. Hi, Jeff. Hey, listen, I was listening to you talking about Eddie Van Halen and the 5150, but I just wanted to add, uh, being a guitar player myself and a lot of us rockers, we we know Eddie used the 5150 amplifier made by Peavy is is where that probably came from, or at least that's what the name of the the amplifier that he used. No kidding. No kidding. Okay. Yeah, well, so there's a few different stories I had learned, Jack, about researching the title one of them was he named a studio after that but maybe that was based on the pv uh on the on the p on the on the uh uh 5150 uh pv that he used maybe maybe you could probably look it up it was it was a very powerful amplifier was matter of fact a lot vacuum tubed yes yes it it kicked some butt it was it was awesome yeah all right all right that's not the thing yeah go ahead Oh, nothing. I was just saying I enjoy your program, Oh, too. thank you, you know, sir. <laughs> thank you. I got more calls today on Eddie Van Halen than I did on almost anything else. Yeah, I was really sorry to see him go like that. It, it kind of shocked me. You know? Yeah. Well, he was. Uh, I had a guest on uh, about him, uh, Thanosanus, who, you know, he inspired so much when he did pass. But... Uh, one of the things we were thinking about him and saying about him is there's not a lot of musicians or cultural figures generally who, when they pass, it really, obviously, didn't know them personally, but when they pass, it really hits you as something in your life has changed. 
because they defined such an important part of your life. Uh, we have that song from Jimmy Buffett about when John Wayne died. There are certain cultural figures that when they pass, things seem like they'll never be the same or a part of your youth went with it. Eddie Van Halen was one of those people for a lot. And not just the same generation, interestingly. As Rob was saying, you know, you and Rob, Bill, are of different generations, and yet you still both had that with Eddie. Joshua is in Gilbert. Hi, Joshua. Hey, Seth. Good talking to you again. Thanks for taking the call. You bet. Hey, just quick comment. Um, you know, I know uh, there's a lot of us, uh, or not us, but, you know, a lot of people saying, you know, maybe Trump should come back in four years and all. But, you know, I, I, I think we, I think there might be a, a better option. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll use a quote from Star Wars Empire Strikes Back when uh, <laughs> Luke leaves and Obi-Wan says, that boy was our last hope. And Yoda goes, no, there is another I really think Ron DeSantis needs to be our guy. Uh, I really think Ron DeSantis is is the guy um, to kind of push our you know you know our policies forward. So just I, you know you can comment on it if you want. Yeah, I will. I, I will. I will. Me. I will. Stay with me because I have mentioned his name a lot. Uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, I know him a very little bit, but a little bit, and um, you know it's part and parcel of my whole thesis that our bench has never really been stronger and right. and I, I i unless I, unless someone can talk me out of it or tell me differently i i think at this very early moment my dream ticket is DeSantis noam christy noam is yep. as I, I i just i really do like ron DeSantis a lot and i think you know we we typically do better when we nominate uh, uh governors uh and certainly of big states, I think the tale he will be able to tell about how he handled COVID is going to be in marked and dramatic contrast as history looks back at it between him and the more popular governor, Cuomo. I think the numbers are going to look much – they already do look much better for DeSantis, though he took all the heat for not doing what Cuomo did. The numbers are not looking good for Cuomo. They're getting worse, and now he's having distribution problems. It's amazing right. to me Cuomo could write a book about it. It's amazing to me he could get an Emmy Award for his press conferences. It's am- I, I remember asking Ron back in uh, – Governor DeSantis back in um, – must have been about April – March, April, May, somewhere in there, April or May, uh-huh. when the media was just having a grand time playing those Cuomo press conferences live, you know, wouldn't cut away from them. I said to him, I said, do you do you do, do you do press conferences? He said, every single day. I said, really? He said, every single day. Yeah. Yeah. Every single well, day. And the media just didn't want to pay attention to it. Right. I mean, no, it would, it would be a great ticket, um, obviously voting system thing too because we don't want you know to have happen again but i think um he's a years because as much as you know i love trump and stuff like that you know it's i think he would be the best the best thing and i don't want any nikki haley's or any people like that coming in because we just you know we know they're just kind of waft you know um and stuff like that so i think he's a he's a straight shooter just like trump um, so anyway, just my comment, and uh, I appreciate you taking the call, man. No, I'm I'm with you on, on all of that, Josh. I think you know I, I'm just trying to think of. I guess Democrats have done it. Have Republicans? Is there a case of a Republican in history, or at least recent history, 
who lost an election or wasn't reelected, however you want to put it, and then ran again. Adelaide Stevenson for the Democrats comes to mind. I guess Nixon, but it took some time between 1960 and 1968. He didn't go again in 64. Am I missing one? I I can't think of. I can't think of the example, which is why it's probably good, uh, Josh, to think about this and watch these guys. It, It really is incredible when you think about Florida has better numbers on coronavirus. It's a bigger state than New York. And yet Cuomo got all the credit with worse numbers and doing a worse job. It's also a very diverse state. Might even be more diverse than New York now that I think about it. I can check on that. The Florida story is going to is going to be a good one to tell uh, over time. And DeSantis will have the appropriate bragging rights for doing everything right in the face of a lot of criticism, a lot of criticism. And one of the early stories I can tell you about what he did was he went into the villages and made sure that uh, he 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 made sure that the villages were taken care of early on. Early on, and um, Cuomo has a different story to tell, doesn't he, about what he did with his elderly population? It's not one he's very happy with. Do you see him lashing out at Janice Dean yesterday? My gosh, you know she lost two in-laws uh, to COVID, and she blames the Cuomo policy of putting them back into the old age homes. And he said, "I don't think Janice Dean knows very much about anything except the weather." Who says that? What kind of crass, cruel thing is that? I think that bloom is going to come off the rose in time. They had their fun, but I think it's going to come off the rose. Gloria's in Mesa. Hi, Gloria. Hi, Seth. Um, First, I wanted to start out and ask. I got in on the program um, about 15 minutes late, but the op-ed, I believe, that you were uh, reading from earlier today, um, I missed who wrote it and how I could find a copy of it. You might be thinking of an essay by Larry Arn on Orwell and tyranny. Is that what we're talking about? Um, it was the um, hypocrisy that was being talked about on, you know, how all the, the, the summer of riots, yet they didn't, nothing was done, none of, done about it, and yet, you know, everybody's up in arms. Probably my monologue is what I was referencing. Oh, is that what Probably, it was? yeah, excellent. which you can get on YouTube. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Pro- do you oh, want, excellent. Do you want to hold the line a second? I'll come back to you on the other side of the break. But I but I have something I really need to talk sure, to you about. Sure, sure, um, sure. Hold the line. We'll do it on the other side of the break, okay? I have to take okay, a quick great. commercial break. We'll be right back. Okay. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. Gloria and Mesa, you were kind to hold. Thank you for your patience. No problem. Um, I wanted to uh, just tell everybody uh, about what happened to me yesterday afternoon. Um, Arizona family uh, uh, posted something about um, Donald Jr. being investigated for something. I mean, what's new? He's always getting investigated for something. And um, I said, um, very simple. Now if they just investigate Hunter Biden and the Bidens. Oh, my gosh, you would not believe the, the storm I got. They called me a racist. They called me um, a fool, an idiot. They went into, onto my Facebook page and took a post that I had made 
back in 2014 and pasted it in. And um, they said that they were going to, you know, affect my business. On my Facebook page, it says that I do business in Gilbert and I'm a I, I do sales, and um, you know they, that they were going to make sure that I didn't do uh, business in Gilbert anymore. And it, quite honestly, it was very upsetting. I read the first six or eight replies, and then I just stopped because I just couldn't take the abuse anymore. I don't know if anybody actually did come to my rescue because I've been kind of afraid, and I don't really want to you know, bring that into my life. I just made a simple post, but I have no idea what they were thinking when they were calling me racist for saying something like that or a fool. And then one one um, guy said, well, you know, he called me a racist and some other girl responded, um, you know, don't worry, we're not all like that and called me a name. And um, I, I think it's just the first thing I did this morning when I got out of bed was get up on Facebook and change all my settings so that nobody could see where I lived or where, you know, I, I, I left it open because I want my friends to be able to find me. But now I have to close it because somebody has been into my Facebook page and taking pictures and, and it's just scary, Seth. It is just petrifying. I, I know, me. I know it is. And, and so what, what we're running into here now you saw some of this during the impeachment speeches earlier in the week where some of the Congress people were saying that, in fact, Cory Bush, one of the newest Congress members, was saying it was uh, an attack by white supremacists on, this, on, the, on the nation's capital. Uh, race had nothing to do with what took place last week on the Capitol. But what there yeah. is now is obviously an effort we have been documenting for some time now, and now you're, you're the victim of, Gloria, that Republicans aren't just wrong. They aren't just um, wrong-headed. Uh, they aren't even stupid. They are racists and white supremacists. They have ratcheted mm-hmm. up. Our opponents have ratcheted up the labels mm-hmm. against us in order to silence us and shut us down. There's absolutely, in a in a, in a fair and even world, nothing wrong with saying if we're going to investigate the president's son, let's investigate the other president's son. There's absolutely, in any given world, one would think one would want to know whether the president-elect's son is compromised on national security or other charges of corruption. After all, mm-hmm. we went through four years of being told that that was true of Donald Trump and his right. family. There's absolutely nothing wrong with saying it, but this is the new tactic, and, and it's something to be very worried about. I mean, it's here's a version of I it. I am. Twitter, yeah, well, it should be. Twitter Twitter will allow and continue to allow uh, the postings of of uh, the Ayatollah of Iran, who calls for death to America and the liquidation of other countries on the globe. But for Donald Trump to question the regularities of the election is too much for them and an inspiration to violence, an incitement mm-hmm. to violence. This this is a um, this is a new tactic. And if, 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 if we're not fascists, we're racists. If we're not racists, we're white supremacists for saying mm-hmm. nothing fascistic, nothing racist, or nothing having to do with white supremacy. There's a second point to it, though, which is what's even more worrisome to me and to those of us, I assume you included, who find racism 
white supremacy and fascism in all its forms to be noxious and toxic and terrible. I think racism... Abhorrent, uh, yeah. Those of us who grew up certain ways, uh, I've gone into this before, I won't do it now, but those of us who grew up certain ways and those of us with a rational head on our shoulders think probably racism, as I do, is about the worst thing in any given society. I I happen to think Mm -hmm. that and have spent... I think in various parts of my life, my whole life, trying to fight against it, work against it where it exists. It's one of the worst things in life. Well, now we're being told that asking to investigate Hunter Biden is racist. You know what that does? It diminishes the toxicity of racism. That's what it does. It robs racism of its toxic meaning. When you call Donald Trump Hitler, it diminishes the toxicity, the poison, the evil of Hitler. Yes. It, it it means that when we get a real racist and when we get a real new fascist on the scene, and there will always come, they will always be something we have to fight against, if not here, somewhere else. Um, right. It, it, when you get it, what are we going to say? What terms do we have left and how do we describe to people who were not studied in World War II or in the 1950s and 1960s? How do we explain to them why mm-hmm. racism is evil or why Hitler or the Third Reich is evil? What, how do we do that when we have now told them that um, an American president who did nothing more than through a um, four-year term expand the economy of the United States and make policy pronouncements and decisions that some people disagreed with but that had nothing to do with anything like the third how do we how do we tell them that hitler is the equivalent of trump and thus hitler is bad i'll tell you something every every survivor of the holocaust and every survivor of a member of the holocaust they would have given everything to have lived under a donald trump everything yeah Everything. Yeah. It is a diminishment of their memory and their trials and their tribulations and the horror they lived through. It is a diminution. It's 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 a terrible crime and assault on history to pervert these terms. It's a crime and an assault on history to pervert these terms. And going forward, that's what's the real legacy here. You can live, Gloria, because you did without social media. I don't know when you got involved, but, you know, you you probably had a a decent life up until, I don't know, when did social media really start hitting us, 2004, 2005, somewhere around there. You can live without social media. I don't know if we can live without the understanding of human nature and the terminology of right and wrong. You collapse all those categories, you collapse civil society. Parts of this show are brought to you by Balance of Nature, the most effective whole food supplement on the market. I take it every single day, boosts my immunity, improves my health, gives me energy. It's chock full of great stuff reduced to vegetarian capsules using their unique cold press process. All the fruits and veggies are organic and picked at the peak of ripeness, good, potent, healthy stuff, blueberries, oranges, broccoli, kale, cayenne pepper. Every single day I take it. 
Don't wait to see what it can do for you. Now is a great time, especially during this season. And they're offering a great deal, free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Give them a call at 800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Monday is the official Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that. And it'll be interesting to see how it's going to be commemorated given so much that we went through over the past year. I gave a lot of talks last year here on Martin Luther King and the view of America. America is systemically racist was not a view he held. Uh, he knew parts of America were racist and worked to end it. But he knew that the way to do it was not finding some other date to re- to go back to our founding on, to find his morality from. Not some 1619, not some 1519, not some 1719, not some 1419, not some 1914, but 1776. That was the date he kept going back to in almost all his most famous speeches. Consider his I Have a Dream speech, maybe his most famous, when he wrote, quote, and said, when the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, close quote. Think about that. He said exactly that. Magnificent. And the crowd shouted, if you read the transcript, the crowd shouted with approval. He spoke in that same speech of the, quote, great vaults of opportunity of this nation, close quote. He knew this was a great country. It wasn't founded on slavery. Slavery was an aberration. It was founded on freedom. Somebody tell the New York Times and Al Sharpton and the entirety of the left in the civil rights industry, please. King in his uh, dream speech said, quote, let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred, close quote. You read the transcript, you'll see the audience shouting in agreement at that too. Is that what we saw in the summer of love? He spoke of his faith in this country and in God, and more, he spoke of absolute right and wrong, good and evil. No postmodern philosophy or political philosophy or anthropology department in any college in America outside of perhaps Hillsdale and a few other religious colleges would have anything to do with that kind of thinking today. Interesting, because they're about moral relativism. On the other side of this break, I want to play you some of his Knock at Midnight sermon, which he gave in various iterations, where he goes directly into that, moral absolutes. He would cite Aquinas. He would cite the Bible. And you know what else he would do? Well, he did it. He loved Israel. Again and again, he spoke of his admiration for Israel and would go on so far as to say, quote, when people criticize Zionists, they mean Jews. You're talking anti-Semitism, close quote. Someone get that memo to Rashida Tlaib and Ilan Omar. So as you can see, none of this is within the step of modern civil rights. Um, and I didn't even begin to speak about his wish that we judge people by their character, not their color. No racial preferences for him. He believed, as Thurgood Marshall wrote in his brief for the NAACP and Broward versus Board of Education, that distinctions of race are so evil, so arbitrary, so invidious 
that a state bound to defend the equal protections of the laws must not invoke them in the public sphere, close quote. You can't change a systemically racist nation, not if it's systemically racist. He knew that. He knew that. And that's why he worked for the Civil Rights Act so hard and so peacefully, but not by appealing to darkness, but appealing to, again, our founding and what he called the Magnificent Declaration and Constitution. You have to think a little bit, don't you, about if the editors of the New York Times were around today, what they might say about King talking that way then. Or would they just censor him? We'll be right back. Great fiddle in there, isn't there? That's great fiddle. Uh, I was talking uh, in my monologue. We were talking at the close of the show yesterday about natural rights, natural law, the morality of our founding and our movement and even conservatism. It was this appeal to human nature, natural right, natural law, that could be the only appeal as Martin Luther King saw it to civil rights by grounding it in human nature and nothing short of that. Human nature, of course, has its ground in morality, not the class struggle, not the race struggle, morality. Uh, Here's a section from his uh, famous um, Knock at Midnight sermon, which he delivered many, many different times. Not only is it midnight in man's collective life, but it's midnight in his individual life. It's midnight in the psychological order. People are more worried, more frustrated, more bewildered today than at any period of human history. So many of us find that clouds of anxiety are floating in our mental skies. The psychopathic wards of our hospitals are full today. Who are the popular psychologists today? They are the psychoanalysts who delve into the inner chambers of the subconscious. What are the popular books in psychology? They are books entitled Man Against Himself, Modern Man in Such of a Soul, The Neurotic Personality of Our Times. What are the popular books, the bestsellers in religion today? They are books entitled Peace of Mind, Peace of Soul. And who are the popular preachers? They are so often preachers who would preach nice little soothing sermons on how to be happy, how to relax, how to keep your blood pressure down. And so we have retranslated the gospel to read, go ye into all the world and keep your blood pressure down and lo, I will make you a well-adjusted personality. All of this 
is indicative of the fact that it is midnight in the psychological order. Not only that, it's midnight in the moral order. Midnight is a time when all colors lose their distinctiveness and everything becomes merely a dirty shade of gray. In the sense of the moral order, midnight is a time when all moral values lose their distinctiveness. And so in our world today, for so many people, there's nothing absolutely right, nothing absolutely wrong. It's just a matter of what the majority of people are doing. Over and over again, we see this. Most people live by the philosophy everybody is doing it, so it must be all right. And that gets you to the point that I was making over the last couple of days about what Thomas Jefferson said in his first inaugural, that moral right isn't determined by just what a majority is doing. Conservatives understand that or used to understand that. They understood that when Jefferson said, we are free from all but the moral law. They understood it when he said in his inaugural that to be rightful, a majority must be reasonable. Lincoln understood that in his campaign against popular sovereignty. You can't vote to do a wrong. And I think it's the abandonment of those singular standards of morality and our inability to put all our arguments or cast all our most important arguments on the ground of morality that has put us in such trouble as we have today because we cast so many things in not human nature but things like class struggle or the race struggle as the modern left has given it to us and tries to reify it again today and use it against us today. And so there seems to be no pang of conscience or problem when a Bill Clinton hugs a Louis Farrakhan or a Barack Obama poses with a picture poses for a picture with Louis Farrakhan or Al Sharpton. No problem whatsoever. But Donald Trump, who suggested a peaceful march, who uttered the words peaceful, peacefully march, he's guilty of incitement. Because it's what the cause is about. It's the wholesale problem I've talked about, not the retail problem. We'll be right back.
People wonder why there are two forms of justice in this country um, and why the riots of last summer can go on without critique or condemnation and, in fact, support and countenance and why we are all universally appalled by the riots of last week, but why the Democrats finally came on board in finding their voice criticizing mob action. It's what I keep referring to as the wholesale and retail problem. It's not riots. It's not riots that the left has a problem with. If it were riots that the left have had a problem with, they, they, they take down and condemn organizations like Insurgents USA. They would have criticized what took place six, day, six riots a day last summer, 30 deaths, Hundreds of cops injured, $2 billion worth of damage, fires, police stations taken over. They would have condemned it. No, see, it's not the retail riot. It's the reason behind them. That's the wholesale problem that I keep talking about. You have to be on the right wholesale side. That's what Don Lemon was talking about earlier in the week at CNN. You can't compare the riots, he said, because one was for a good cause and one was for a bad well, it's not riots they dislike. It's the reasoning behind them. Well, we dislike them all. And in celebrating Martin Luther King Jr., he proves that you can make change without riot. But he proved another thing, too. Whatever color your skin, whatever your ethnicity, whatever your race or religion, not only can you, but you should love America. God bless you all. Until Monday, I'm Seth Leibson.